Well, good morning, church. My name is Michael Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb. And about three or four weeks ago, Pastor Trevor and I went to lunch together. Now, that's nothing new. We, we go to lunch fairly frequently, but this was different because it wasn't planned. We were just in a meeting, and when that meeting ended, I said to Trevor, hey, you want to go get some lunch somewhere? And he said, sure. Where do you want to go? So I said, let's go to Carolina Wings and Rib House. Now, I want to pause just for a second and, and assure you that I am not sponsored in any way by Carolina Wings and Rib House, although I could be open to it. If their people contact my people, we could work something out. But back to the story. So on the way to Carolina Wings and Rib House, I started thinking about the brisket melt sandwich. I'd been introduced to it a few weeks before, and, and I am quite certain that the brisket melt sandwich is not all that good for you, but it is incredibly good. It's, it's tender, smoked brisket, melted cheese on Texas toast with wing chips. Oh, it's, it's good. In fact, just thinking about it, I got my mouth watering just a little bit. So I already knew. We On the way there, I'm thinking about the, the brisket melt. We get there. Trevor and I both get in the booth, and I don't even need to pick up the menu because I know what I want. In fact, because of that, I am very intentional not to think about things like my cholesterol, my blood pressure, my A1s. I didn't think about anything that might complicate my order because I knew what I wanted and I just sat quietly for a minute or two while Trevor had a chance to look over the menu. And after a minute or two, I asked him, what are you going to get? And that's when he responded, I think I'm going to get a salad. Now, I didn't say this out loud, but I was thinking, are you serious? This is not clean eats. This is Carolina wings and rib. I didn't even know they had a salad. <laughs> and then I picked up the menu and I started looking for the salad section because, you know, conviction. And, and I found the salad I thought would, would be good. And I chose my salad dressing and I waited to order my salad too and the server came and she took Trevor's order first. And he told her, I want a salad, I think I'm gonna have a salad. And she said, well, what protein do you want on it? And Trevor said, I'm gonna have fried chicken dipped in buffalo sauce. <laughs> and internally I was like, oh, thank goodness. So when she turned to me, I said, I'm gonna have the brisket melt with wing chips. That's what I'm gonna have. Now, I kid you not, that same night, I, I'm, I'm sitting at home, I pull out my computer to look over the plans that we have for this sermon series. And, you know, we, this sermon series is holy living, God's design for a full life. And, and if you've been here over the past few weeks, you know that we've been talking about spiritual wholeness. We've been talking about relational wholeness, emotional wholeness. And sitting there with my computer that night with my brisket melt still sitting heavy... I saw that I would be preaching today on physical wholeness. <laughs> and it was almost like the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, you ignored me earlier, but let me get your attention. You need to take it easy on the brisket melts. And you need to take better care of your body. 
but I'm jumping a little ahead. Let, first, let, let, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. Therefore, you must honor God with your body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'd like to invite you to help me this morning. And the way I want you to help me is to turn to somebody nearby. And this is the message I'd like for you to deliver to them. The message is, it's time to tend our temples. Can you do that for me? It's time to tend our temples. So that passage from 1 Corinthians 6 is going to be our anchor today. So I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to come back to that. We're going to dig deeper into that passage. But before we do, I want to share something with you from the Old Testament as well. So as we begin thinking about our bodies, as we begin to contemplate the fact that God has created us as physical beings, I couldn't help but think about a passage from Psalm 139. In fact, I'm guessing that this passage is going to be a favorite for some people in the room. So it's Psalm 139, and in this prayer, the psalmist says to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. And knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Now, I know that's a favorite for a lot of people. And I love this imagery that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. God Almighty, the same God who created the entire universe, knit us together in our mother's wombs. We are God's handiwork. Now, probably every one of us has things that we don't necessarily like about our bodies. 
I'm guessing there are things that we would change about our body if we had the chance, but the reality is that God created us. God created our bodies. You are God's idea. You are evidence of God's workmanship, according to that passage. God created us all as beings with bodies, bodies that were handcrafted by the creator of the universe. So no matter how we might feel about our bodies on any given day, the truth is God created our bodies and they are good. God created our bodies and they are good. Now, in the early church, Christians had to once again clearly articulate that truth that God created our bodies and our bodies are good because there was a heresy that started to emerge in the early church called Gnosticism. Gnostics believed that the material world didn't matter. They, they had this diminished view of the body because it was a part of the material world. And so in essence, they believed that bodies were just flawed, temporary shells that can't be trusted. Therefore, Gnostics believed you could do whatever you wanted to to your bodies. In effect, you could eat, drink, and be merry because your bodies don't matter. They just don't matter. Bodies, according to the Gnostics, are, are inconsequential. And so the Gnostic goal in life was to reach this spiritual state of salvation that would only be achieved by wisdom and knowledge and, and just denying and denigrating the body. Now, I share with you about Gnostic thought this morning, not because I think you're all that interested in a history lesson, but because even though I don't know of any people who are running around today claiming to be Gnostics, the reality is Gnostic thought, remnants of Gnostic thought is still alive and well in our culture today. There's still plenty of people who deny the importance of the body. There's still plenty of people whose philosophy in life is hedonistic, that you should just eat, drink, and be merry because what you do in your body and what you do to your body doesn't really matter. There are people who believe that our biology, that our bodies aren't really all that integral to who God created us to be. But... They believe instead that we can do whatever we want with our bodies. They think we can create our own realities. They think that we can even determine our identities independent of our biology, the bodies that God has given us. But our faith tells a different story. Our faith tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator. We can trust God with our bodies. We can trust God about our bodies. God created our bodies and they are good. In fact, that is the refrain of the creation story in Genesis. God created and he saw that it was good and that goodness includes our bodies. This is Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Of course, this is the account of God's creation of the very first human. God, God scooped up dust, and he formed and fashioned it into his image, and then God breathed into that dust the breath of life. Now, in Hebrew... That breath of life is the Hebrew word ruach. 
If you say it, you have to say it at the back of your throat. It's fun to say. I want to invite you to say it with me. Ruach. See, you didn't know you could speak Hebrew until just now, but you can speak at least one Hebrew word. Ruach is the word that means, it means wind, it means breath, it means spirit. So God scooped up dust, shaped it into his image, and then breathed ruach, breathed his, his spirit into the very first human. So from the very beginning, there's spirit and, and body together. Now, at the risk of going all Bible nerd on you this morning, let me share one more thing about this verse. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that's used for breathe into is the word emphusao. It's where we get our word emphysema. Emphysema is a, a breathing problem, but emphusao means to breathe into or to breathe on. And the reason it's interesting to me that that's the word used in Genesis 2-7 is that the only other place in the entire Bible that the word emphusao is used is in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. It's an episode with Jesus that takes place after the resurrection. So you might remember the story. Jesus is raised on Easter, and then the, the disciples, though, they don't know that he's been raised. They're, they're still, still huddled together, scared. They've got the doors locked in an upper room, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And it's such an interesting, such an interesting scene because Jesus shows up in their midst, and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. And then this is John 20, 22. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? They're, all, they're gathered together. Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Now, <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a strange scene. But it's reminiscent of what happened way back in the beginning. So Jesus emphusaoed. He breathed his resurrection breath. He breathed his Holy Spirit into them. So in both cases, in creation way back in the beginning and after the resurrection in the new creation, our bodies inhale, our bodies breathe in the Holy Spirit of God. So the spiritual... And the physical get inextricably meshed together. That's why our bodies matter so much. Our, our physicality and our faith is connected. What we do with our bodies and how we take care of our bodies matter immensely for following Jesus. This week, I, I reached out to one of our Mount Horeb doctors and I said to him, I said, hey, as a Christian physician, what is one truth that you would wish every Christian could hear with regard to our bodies? And here's what he said. Basically, I would emphasize the stewardship of our physical bodies, the embodied gifts that we are. If we look at our finances as simply us managing God's money, so we should look at our bodies as simply vessels of his indwelling spirit, that we should treat our bodies in the same way. Our bodies belong to him, not us. And this should be reflected in how we nourish them, how we condition them, how we use them in physical relationships with other people, and how we use them 
for building God's kingdom. Boom. Uh, we have a doctor who's also a theologian. Such a, such a great answer. We are stewards. We are caretakers of the body that God has entrusted to us. When I was growing up, I, I frequently went on Wednesday nights with one of my best friends to his Baptist church to RAs. RA stands for Royal Ambassadors. We have any RAs out there anywhere? Oh, yeah, there's some RAs in the room. So RAs is like Christian scouting. So you, you work your way through these lessons and you work your way up the ranks. And we also had an RA pledge that I remember to this day. So this is the RA pledge. As a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, to have a Christ-like concern for all people, to learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world, to work with others in sharing Christ, and to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. From a, from a small child, I was already learning that keeping our bodies healthy is a faith issue. It's a spiritual issue because we're meshed together, spirit and body. All of that is combined. We can't separate the two. But even though I have known that, I haven't always done a good job at that. As I was preparing for this message, the Holy Spirit really did convict me, starting on the night that I had the brisket melt and I realized I'd be preaching today, but, but really intensifying this week as I really dug in and started to prepare for what I would share with you. The Holy Spirit started speaking to me. Now, I know that in times of stress, there are probably some people in this room who lose weight. That has never been me. I'm the kind of person who eats my stress. And so it, I can look back over my life and every time my family has left one place, left one church and moved to another, every time we've gone through the grief of leaving and, and the stress of starting over new, I have tended to fall out of good habits and fall into bad ones. And that has been true of our move here to Lexington as well. I have been eating more brisket melts and exercising far less than I know I need to. And so the Holy Spirit said to me this week, hey, if you're going to steward well this body that God has given you, if you're going to be healthy for, and fit for a lifetime to be able to serve God longer, then you're going to have to make some changes to your habits. On my last birthday, somebody posted on my Facebook page this meme that said, be sure to enjoy your 20s, 30s, and 40s because when you hit 50, that check engine light's going to come on. Now, some of us, I, I haven't hit 50 just yet, but sometimes it feels like my check engine light is on. But we can delay that and we can reset that by doing preventative maintenance on our bodies, taking care of them. I, I think this statement is true. You are the only you you're ever going to have. I'll say that again. You are the only you you're ever going to have. This is the only body you're, you are ever going to have. This is the only body I am ever going to have, at least until Jesus comes back. This, these are the only bodies that we're ever going to have, so we need to take care of them, to tend them, to steward them the way God would have us do. 
Well, it's, it's taken us a little bit to, to circle back, but I want us to circle back to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And to really understand what's going on in this passage, it's important to know that even very early on in the life of the church, because we're talking Paul is writing this letter around 53, 54 A.D., so very early on in the life of the church, the Christian theology of the body starts to brush up against the ideas in the culture with regard to bodies. And it's starting to create conflict. In the Christian faith, we believe that not only has God created us, breathed his ruach, his breath of life into us, but we also know from Genesis that God created us male and female for each other. And God has given us the gift of physical, sexual intimacy. And it's God's gift, and it's a good gift. But this gift is intended to be opened only within the covenant, the context of the covenant of marriage. And that's not because God is some cosmic killjoy, but, but rather because that is God's best for us. It's how we can be whole and flourish and, and be holy. Physical intimacy is such a powerful gift that it has to come with guardrails. We have to have some boundaries around it. Because God intends this gift to, to bind us together with the person we marry. It, it, and it, God intends it to be a permanent bond. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. And so God designed this gift to do that work of binding us together permanently with each other. And any time that that gift is opened outside the context of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, the church has historically taught that is sin. It's outside God's design for us. Well, Paul is writing this letter to Christians in the city of Corinth. And Corinth is, is this very large, very wealthy port city. In fact, almost all the trade going from east to west goes through, in Paul's day, goes through the city of Corinth, goes through the port city. Everything that's shipped from Asia to the, the capital of the Roman Empire, all of it goes through Corinth. Add to that that on top of this mountain that overlooks the city of Corinth, in Paul's day, there was a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the goddess of lust, and of beauty. And ancient, so there are some ancient historians who tell us that temple prostitution was rampant in the city, and there were thousands of these soldiers coming into Corinth every day, traveling through who were eager to worship Aphrodite in that way. Corinth had such an awful reputation that there was a new term that was coined called Corinthianizing. And it was a synonym for fornication and all sorts of other unbridled sexual sins. So that is the backdrop for Paul's letter. And here, in this passage that we read earlier, Paul is having this back-and-forth conversation with what he knows the Corinthians are saying versus what he knows to be truth from the Word of God. And so this is, this is verse 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. 
Here Paul knows the Corinthian mindset, the mindset of these Corinthian Christians. They're saying, hey, this is my body. I can do what I want to with this. My body, my choice. But, but Paul says, yeah, well, not everything is good for it. And then he goes on to say that everything might be allowed, but we shouldn't become a slave to anything. And when, when Paul says anything, I believe he means anything. I, I think he's talking about we shouldn't become a slave to food or substances, or desires, or attractions, or behaviors, anything that would rule over us. Paul said, you're not supposed to become a slave to anything. And then in verse 13, he says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. Here Paul gets really specific. Our bodies were made for the Lord. Now we've already seen from the Old Testament that our our bodies were made by the Lord. But Paul is telling us our bodies are made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. There is faith significance to what we do to and what we do with our bodies. It all matters to the Lord. So after Paul says that and makes that argument, then he goes into a couple of verses where he talks about not being united with a prostitute. And then he summarizes the whole thing in verse 18 where he says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You know, sometimes in Scripture, we are taught to resist temptation. In other words, we're taught to stand and fight against temptation. But that isn't true for sexual sin. Paul says to run from it, retreat, flee, get out of dodge. And I think that's because he knows that God has created each one of us with desires and drives. And those are strong. The gift of physical intimacy is so powerful. And the allure of sexual sin is so strong that Paul says, hey, I don't want you to play with fire. I want you to run. I don't want you to try to stand and resist. I want you to run. I want you to retreat. I want you to flee. I want you to find an escape route. And stay away from it. Now I'm sure that I don't have to tell you that we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. I actually wonder if the ancient Corinthians were around today if they might even be shocked by some of the things going on in our culture. I wonder, you know, they were pretty bad. They they did a lot lot of things. But I do wonder if the Corinthians were around today and they saw what we have on the internet, if they saw some of the things taking place, if even it would make a Corinthian blush. About a a week or so ago, one of our, our members came to me and he wanted to meet with me because he wanted to tell me about some work that he's been doing to try to protect children in our state from, from pornography. So he's been lobbying for legislation. And the other thing he's been doing is developing training for parents to educate parents about 
even things that, that we already have in our phones. There are built-in porn filters in our phones, but by default, because most of us don't know about them, by default, they're set to off. And so he's developing this training program to teach parents how to make sure that those filters are turned on to protect our children from pornography. And while he was meeting with me and while he was sharing with me about the work that he's doing, he also shared with me some startling and staggering data about pornography. Do you know that the average age when a child is first introduced to pornography is 11? 11. The proliferation of pornography online and the rampant consumption of pornography by our culture is having devastating effects, and not just on children, but devastating effects on people. That old children's song that some of us learned growing up, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, it especially applies to pornography because pornography is changing and perverting our view of our bodies. Pornography is changing and perverting our view of God's good gift of sexual intimacy. Pornography is promoting all sorts of sexual sins which wreck relationships and ruin lives. And some of us in the room know the pain and brokenness of that. We know the pain and brokenness of sexual sin. And it's certainly true that not a single one of us in this room is immune to that temptation. We're not immune to it. And that's why Paul says to run from it. He's run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So flee from it. Paul finishes this whole section in 1 Corinthians. In verses 19 and 20, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, no, no, no. It's not your body. You don't get to do whatever you want to with it. God created your body. God breathed his ruach, his breath of life, his Holy Spirit into it. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. It's not your body. God not only made it, God gave his life to save it. You've been bought with a price. So Paul says, do what you were created to do. Honor God with your body. Now, if I had to summarize Paul's argument here in this passage in 1 Corinthians, it would be two points. Number one, our bodies have a function. Our bodies have a function. Our function, the function of our bodies is to glorify God. Our bodies house the Holy Spirit that lives in us. In the Old Testament, in, in, all, in Jerusalem, there was a temple and the presence of God dwelled in the temple. It was a physical building, but in the New Covenant... The Holy Spirit lives in a physical body, in our bodies. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Use your body for God's glory. We are given this to build his kingdom. We're given our bodies to share his love with the world. So our bodies have a function. And secondly, our bodies have a future. Our bodies have a function. 
Our bodies have a future. This is verse 14 of our passage. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So part of Paul's argument here is that what we do with our bodies, what we go do to our bodies, our bodies matter because of the resurrection of Jesus. He's the first one to be raised from the dead, but he won't be the last one. We will get resurrection bodies as well. Paul goes into great detail about this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. In fact, I invite you when you go home this afternoon, read the whole chapter 15. He goes to great lengths to make the case that just like Jesus' body was raised from the dead, so one day ours will be. I mean, yes, when we die, our souls are immediately with Jesus in heaven, but when Jesus comes back, our bodies will be raised from the dead. There is a resurrection and our bodies will be transformed and glorified. And so what we do now matters. We said it earlier in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Our bodies have a function. Our bodies have a future. So what? Practically speaking, what, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Well, for some of us, it means we need to repent. We need to change our ways. Maybe, like me, you need to trade brisket melts for Brussels sprouts and be a lot more intentional and disciplined about exercise and taking care of this temple that God has given us. Maybe you need to seek treatment for addictions, for substances and vices that you have become enslaved to because we're not meant to live in slavery to those things. Maybe you need to repent of sexual sin and place some safeguards, some guardrails, some accountability in your life with regard to what you allow your little eyes to see and with regard to what you do with your body. Maybe some of us in the room need to repent of sexual sin. In fact, if you have been sinning against your body in this way, I want you to hear this this morning. There is grace in Jesus. Jesus didn't come and die, give his life so that you could be enslaved to anything. Jesus didn't come and die, give his life so that we can remain trapped in guilt and shame. There is deliverance, there is grace, there is freedom and forgiveness in Jesus' name. And you can experience that today. I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you through this message, but I do know this. What Grace Marie said last week is absolutely true. She said, God doesn't just want you to be healthy. He does want that. But he also wants you to be holy. God wants you to be healthy and holy. God wants you to be set apart, consecrated for his purpose in this world. That pertains to our whole life, our spiritual, relational, emotional, and physical life. God's want, God wants us to be holy, holy. And that means we have to take care of this physical body. It's time to tend our temples. I want to leave you this morning with this last verse. It's Romans 12, 1. Here's what Paul writes. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you 
to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We're gonna close out this series this morning by gathering at the communion table. So I wanna go ahead and invite our communion servers to come forward. We've been talking all month long about how God has called us to live whole lives, full lives, and the thing that can derail our wholeness, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and physically, the thing that derails us is sin. So before we come to the table this morning, I want us to have a time of, of prayer. We're gonna have a time of silent prayer for you to, the Holy Spirit to speak to you and for you to lift up whatever, confess whatever sins you need to confess before we come to the table. This is our preparation to confess our sins before we come to the table. So let us pray together. Lord, you created us. You breathed your breath of life into us, your Holy Spirit. You made us to be temples of the Holy Spirit. But we confess that there are sins in our lives that have derailed your design for wholeness and holiness in our lives. And we confess those to you this morning. We confess our sins to you, God, because we are so confident in your grace, your love, your boundless love, your willingness to forgive us. And so this morning, we confess everything that, that derails wholeness and holiness in our lives. And we stand on your promise that if we confess our sins, you who are faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, we stand on that promise this morning. We accept the freedom that you give us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Well, you've heard the story. God created us. God breathed the breath of life into us, but not very far into our story, sin our sin derailed our relationship. But God was so purposeful and so completely loves us that he was relentless in his pursuit of us and he desired to redeem all of creation through his son. And so God became flesh and lived among us. God took on a body and he lived and he loved and he showed us how to do that. And then he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we might be set free and made whole. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. 
This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. And all God's people said,